Mixes and Tea podcast fans, it's Danny here. Yes, we are bringing in spooky season. It is October. This is a topic that I'm really excited to talk about. And there's there's one person that was perfect for this topic. This is a person I've mentioned here before, a very, very good friend, a chosen sister of mine. This is somebody who I have known I think most of my life at this point. And I'm really excited because she has really shaped who I am as a person today. There's a lot to our history. If you know her and if you don't know her, the only thing you really need to know is that she is like the queen of Halloween. She's the least judgmental person I've ever met. And I am just so, so grateful to know her. So I'm really excited because I have my friend Rachel here. Hello, Rachel. Hello. How are you? I could. I am so excited that you were willing to come on here because let me tell you, I was so excited. We've kind of talked about this on and off for like a couple of years that yeah. this would be something that'd be cool to do. I'm excited that you were so willing to come here. I know we, we have been talking about it for some time. Like I, I remember when you first uh, brought up the idea to me of you doing a podcast and now you're here and you're doing it. And, and then you brought up the idea of talking about the Salem witch trials for Halloween, which I just love and I'm so honored that you thought of me to do it. So I'm happy to be here. We're here to talk about the Salem witch trials. And before we started recording, we were kind of talking about how this topic is so important because it really does tie into a lot of the topics that we talk about here. Toxic relationships, abusers, cults, people who use fear to cause basically the majority of people to not trust themselves and to not trust others. And this really shaped a lot of the modern day cults that we have today. In fact, so many of the things that I was researching with the Salem Rich Child, there's a modern day version of that. And it's relevant to worldwide. It's relevant to Brit Worldwide, URA, LTD, all of the different Amway lines of affiliation. Also, all the other MLMs who are causing this whole new fear into people to, quote, need their organization. So that's why I feel like this was so important. Also, Rachel, you yourself are a Wiccan. And this topic is so passionate for you. What did your journey look like getting into Wicca? And why do you feel like it's so important that we keep this conversation going? So when Wicca first came into my life, I was very young. You know, I, I would say impressionable. And I I thought it was fascinating. I thought the idea of it was fascinating. Um, you know, I hadn't really done the research because I was so young. I was like, it, like preteen age. It turned out that my friend's mother discovered that we were looking into this, this religion. And she was Christian. And so just not being educated herself about the religion, she found it scary. And it was it was almost like like devil work or occult work and uh she had a fit she she was like nope stay clear stay clear <laughs> don't ever bring that into my house again kind of thing and it and it scared me I'm like okay well what did I just do what what am I what what's wrong with this and I just I never understood but being a child I you know did what adults told me to do so I I left it alone I never thought about it again and then in my 20s came back uh, around to it and did my own research finally and again I just was fascinated by it I thought it 
it's a beautiful religion. It it has nothing to do with the devil. It it really does. There is no devil in the crowd. There, you know, it's worshiping nature. You know, worshiping old ways. Actually, uh, pre-Christian ways. A lot of you know. Christians before they call themselves Christians were paganists. And that's that's where it all stems from. According to, you know, the latest, I, I think it was like 1.5 million people in the United States or consider themselves witches or Wicca. And I think that's great. I hope that number keeps climbing. It's a really beautiful religion. And I just I wish it wasn't so attached to words like devil work and satanism because it's not whatsoever it's really really a uh, beautiful open-minded religion yeah yeah which is like it's so stigmatized and i don't feel like that stigmatization should continue you know it is it is unfortunate that there are people who are still viewed the same way they were in 1692 even though it's 2023 which is crazy to me and so kind of like you were talking about that it predates christianity so why is it that maybe during a time like 1692 why was paganism viewed so negatively they had their own idea of what the Bible said and they they stuck with that and they just they refused any other idea of what what cer- what certain scriptures or or ideas could possibly mean other than what they stood firm on. Yeah. Because during that time too, I mean, religion held such it was it was their lives. That was the reason why they did everything. Because they were people who, you know, they they spread themselves out to spread their religion because the ways that other people were not believing was wrong. They had to transform these people into God-fearing people. I mean, we still, like we talked about, we still have that today where, you know, we have to believe that there's evil people and these people who are considered evil are innocent people. They just have a different viewpoint than what we have. It's just different. And we've always, as a society, viewed different as evil or bad. And that is what caused this legal mass murder to happen. Yeah, I mean, the you know, the Puritans, they moved to Salem Village in hopes of finding this new Jerusalem. You know, at that time, uh, Salem Village was on basically the outskirts of like the wilderness and you know the wilderness was it was scary to them that this unknown thing so they moved there intending to bring the word of god there uh to to make a new sanctuary and bring peace to the wilderness yet samuel paris he he had his uh conviction of um you know spreading his word hellfire and brimstone sermons i mean of course you know talk like that eight hours a day you know spending hours and hours in church on sunday and then going home and studying the bible even more of course that kind of talk around the clock is going to put ideas in your head and the children at that time they weren't allowed to play there there was no light in their life 
it, you know, they had to be so strict and work and pray. And that was it. That was their life. And so all of that talk, you can imagine the influence that it would play on a young person's mind. And honestly, that's where it all started. That's where it all happened was from a young girl's imagination running wild. Right. Because it all started with what? Two two girls, right? And it all started because they were having these unknown, what do they call them? Fits, right? Just this, what what I would imagine would be depicted in a movie as like uh, possession, possession. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was it was theater for them. They had never had attention. They were never listened to. And now all of a sudden, the spotlight was on them. They were being listened to. And that was very intoxicating for them. And the more and more that other girls saw these two girls getting attention, they're like, Oh, well, I saw something too. You know, it was it was your uh, hysteria. And it was it started with Samuel Paris because he was he was the minister, right, of Salem Village. It was his daughter and his niece, right? Yep. Um, Abigail Williams and um, Betty Paris. Um, Abigail Williams was his niece and his maid, his live-in maid. So yeah, he was he moved to Salem and he wasn't necessarily called to be their minister, but you know, they, they didn't really have a lot of good luck with ministers in Salem. You know, just either people not really agreeing with what they were saying or, you know, whatever it was, they kept losing ministers. And so Samuel was there and it really didn't take a whole lot of time for him to move in on the position. And actually not a lot of the people People in Salem believed his sermons. They felt like he was going to divide the town versus unite, except for one family, the uh, Putman. And of course, you know, it was his parents, it was his daughter and his niece who started the the hysteria of, of having these fits and seeing a specter. And, and of course, down the line, it went straight to Ann Putman, you know, because they, they hung out, they talked. So naturally, Anne would be the next girl to be inflicted to start saying, I'm seeing specters. And, and it just grew their fit and, and their visions grew more and more and more dramatic. I believe it was Anne Putman actually who took to the next level where she bit her arm. That was like the first false evidence brought in within the trials. You know, it wasn't oh. just saying so. It, now she's bringing false evidence, biting her arm and saying, look, the devil's biting me. That's so scary to think about because you're right. If you if you have this belief system, right, that there is an evil afoot, if you will, and your child or your, your child, your family members or, you know, your child's friend, like all of these girls that you know to be innocent children, right? It's going to be kind of scary and you kind of have to at some point make some sort of you have to have a reason for this like this that's their logical explanation at that point it was there's no other reason for this other than this witchcraft aspect so how did this evolve to starting to point fingers the first person that they had accused of being a witch the first person that they accused of being a witch actually was Tichuba, their live-in maid. Well, not maid, slave. Let's let's just call it what it is. She was um, right. a girl bought um, by the Paris family. Um, she originally was from uh, Barbados. You know, she she looked different than any other um, 
people in Salem Village. She she was she had dark skin. She spoke with an accent. Um, she believed and followed different things. Even in Barbados, where she lived, where she came from, they they used um, magic. They used folklore and uh, voodoo within their daily lives. It it wasn't bad to them. So when the girls were showing these symptoms of being bewitched, she decided to take it upon herself and try and help the girls by making what she called a witch cake. So what that is, is she took rye meal and the inflicted girl's urine. So she would take Abigail and Betty's urine, mix it into the rye meal and make it into a paste, Uh, turn it into like a, like, like a little biscuit or cupcake and you feed it to the dog. And what that would do, they, they believed in two different ways that this would help. Either the dog would take the bewitchment into itself and relieve the girls of their bewitchment, or they believed that there was this correlation, this connection between the bewitcher and the bewitched so if you take that bewitchment and have a dog chew on it then the bewitcher would feel that and then release the girls of of their infliction she wasn't able to do that because she was caught uh paris caught her making the witch cake and he what he called it using the devil to stop the devil so to him it was just even more witchcraft and that that to him solidified okay well the girls are saying that you're hurting them that you're a witch and now i see you making this witch cake in my house so you know it it just it went from that and went on to more and more people it was the perfect storm i mean they had their scapegoat it was the the very obvious person who would have been the scapegoat during this time and you had somebody who was quite literally just trying to help and and she and from what i understand too is that she she was somebody that the girls were around a lot because she was their slave and you know, I, from what I understand, too, is that the girls were very close with her and that she would tell them stories and they would like they were around her a lot. But because they had to blame somebody, they that she would be the very obvious first person to start blaming. Right. And what what actually started it is because the girls played a game. It was called the Venus class back then, which is basically like like a tea leaf reading back in their day you would take water in a bowl and then crack an egg over it and the egg white would fall into the water and then make a shape and what they saw what they claimed to see was a coffin and you know spending all of their life listening to this hellfire and brimstone sermon all day every day especially in their family with Paris being the head minister of of Salem Village. You know, when they were done with church, they came home and went to church. So hearing this nonstop and then seeing this coffin, it terrified the girls. You know, I can imagine that it, it might have actually started off with real fear, but you can't go to Mr. Paris and say, hey, I did this and now and now I'm scared, you know, because then right. they would be 
right? So who would who would be the obvious person to blame? And I just I can't imagine the hurt that Tichaba must have felt. You know, she spent her life raising these girls and taking care of them and feeding them and, and you know getting them dressed and doing every single thing for them. And then they do this to her. You know, it's a it's a wonder why she why she handled it the way that she did. I I mean, if I were her, I I can't imagine what I would have done. But you know, she she didn't blame the girls. She she just did what she needed to do to survive. And unfortunately, that at that time was to say that someone else was the witch. And that's yeah. how, you know, Sarah Good and Sarah Osmond came into the picture. And so it was those three women, Tichipa, Sarah Osborne, and Sarah Good, that started the witch trials. Right. You know, what's funny is I think about this game, right, that was by all accounts innocent, right? It was this this folklore that, oh, if I do this, I'm going to see my future. It's so funny because I think of MASH. Do you remember MASH? Like yeah. with the circle? Like I think of that same thing and, you know, the, the way that we're supposed to tell our future. Like it was just innocent and, and fun and like it was something that we did as kids. But that is what they probably would have considered evil and demonic. Exactly. Exactly. You know, it's, it's, it's funny, the things that we do every single day in our lives, that they probably would have considered uh, witchcraft or, or uh, you know, devil's work. Even um, us, you know, singing happy birthday and then blowing out a candle to make a wish, that would have been devil's work in their day. You know, you're, you're chanting and then blowing out a candle and making a wish to an, an unseen entity, that would have been devil work to them. Yeah. Which is, which it is interesting when you think you're right. There's a lot of things that we, that in modern day to them would be like you, like you said, demonic, that's devil's work that you like, I mean, there's still even a lot of people who have this, at least when I was a kid, I remember having friends whose parents, like it was such a, like a culture shock because even though I was raised with a faith, my, my parents, especially my dad never pushed it on me. And I had friends who weren't allowed to watch Harry Potter because of witchcraft. I thought it was the craziest thing. I was like, what are you talking about? Like this movie, like it's not real. It is purely just a figment of somebody's imagination that was brought to life in a movie, like in a book or like all of Tolkien's work, like all of it would have been considered witchcraft. And it's, it's so crazy. All of this was started by the fear mongering that was put into these people, like you said, eight hours plus a day. And how else are you when you have like a genuine fear of something, and you start hearing that it's coming closer and closer to you, I can see how some of the Puritans who maybe had the best of intentions had heard this. And because they were so brainwashed, of course, they're going to believe it. They're like, Oh, I've been told that this was going to happen. I've been told that we're trying to prevent this. And now it's coming into our community. We yeah. like that is horrifying right it is it, it really it's radicalism and hysteria which, which turn into just tragedy right so as this is unfolding right this there's so much that goes into all of this and more and more people are starting to be accused and how did that kind of progress? And I know some of their their speculation, or I think there's even like the guy Cotton Mathers, he wrote uh, about this. And it was talking and depicting the fact that people were accusing people that they had beef with. Yes, essentially, if you have wronged those girls in any way, this is how they got their revenge in a way, which is horrifying. <laughs> it's so horrifying. I mean, 
it honestly, it reminds me of, you, you know, the movie, uh, The Mist and the woman in the movie, I can't think of her name. Miss, I can't think of her name right now. But, I can see um, her face, but yeah, I know who you're talking about. The way that she is a, a, a radicalist in herself, she lives and breathes the scripture. And that's all she does is speak it to, to everyone that's around her, right? So now this terrifying thing is happening and her word almost infects one person after the next after the next and it just spreads throughout um their group and it it turned and and they did they ended up murdering for her for for her word of god and that's exactly what happened in salem they thought that they were doing god's work they thought that they were doing the right thing you know but <laughs> But really, it was it was a whole kind of evil that they just weren't seeing that they were doing. And and they were the ones, as you said, the accusers should have been the ones that they were afraid of, not yeah. the people that they were accusing. Yes. yes. I mean, when we were taught this in school, it's like it's, it baffles me that we were taught to fear the witches and not the accusers. It's it's horrifying to put yourself in the place of uh of the the ones that were accused and you know we're we're talking like over 200 people were accused of witchcraft out of 200 you know 20 is a small number but it happened so fast it happened within it started in january when the when the girls played their portrait fortune teller game and then it kind of ended you know at the end of the year claiming that people were witches started happening in march and then the first three that were executed happened on july 19th and then another hanging happened uh august 19th and then another round of hanging happened september 22nd after that, the whole allure and, and uh, frenzy of it all kind of lost its um, fire. You know, it just, it kind of died down a little bit. You know, yeah. people, you know, like people, so many people were accused that now people who were on the committee, uh, the judges, their wives were now being accused. And that's actually what stopped it all was one of the governors, his wife was accused and he's like, no, 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 we're not going there. We're not doing this. <laughs> so it's over. That's what stopped it is it took it took for the wrong people to be named. You know, we're, we're going to knock this off. But it's it's sad that so many lives were lost and so many prominent people like like you had said, these were their own people who were having the same beliefs that they were. I think that your explanation of Sarah Good's story is like you put it really well because hers is really sad because even her daughter, her four year old daughter was accused of being a witch. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's it's insane. It's it's so she Sarah Good, she was a widowed poor woman, had 
you know, not a, not a dime in her pocket. You know, she, she was just clothed in rags. She, she had nothing on her back, nothing um, to give. And, you know, so she had to beg for her livelihood. She depended on her neighbors and her community to give her what she needed to keep her daughter and her herself alive. And one day she knocked on the wrong person's door, which of course was uh, Samuel Paris, knocked on his door asking for help. And his reply was, well, I haven't seen you in church. And, you know, she she's standing there begging him in rags. And that's her explanation. She says, well, I have nothing to wear to church. And that should have been understandable. But to him, that there was just no excuse. So he denied her. She, turned her away. And as she turned, she muttered something under her breath, which was probably just something to her daughter in the in the way of like, okay, let's go or, you know, let's let's ask this person or something like that, something completely innocent. But to him, because of what was already happening in his household, he was paranoid and on the alert. And so when she muttered under her breath, he assumed that she was putting a curse on him. And that, so now she must be a witch. And it, it just, like, little things like that set off the fire. Her story is sad. It's, it's really weird. sad to think that there was one person who just needed support. And because she was upset and said something under her breath, all of a sudden she is a witch. Yeah. And not only did it impact her, it impacted her child. And I, her child wasn't, was not murdered as a result, though, right? No, no, she wasn't. Um, she did sadly lose a child though. She was, she went to prison pregnant and she ended up having her baby in prison. And because of, you know, the horrendous conditions of the prison, her baby did die. Not, not the daughter who um, was accused. Yeah. So how did this go from three people who were accused to, what did you say? Almost 200? Yeah, almost 200 were accused. It started off with Tichipa, who in order to save her own life, you know, she, it went on to Sarah Osborne and Sarah Good. It was the girls because of their the attention that they were getting from the townspeople, you know, they, they had never been allowed to really speak, let alone be theatrical and play. And that's essentially what they were doing. They, they were just for the first time being able to just play, um, you know, they, they made a spectacle of themselves and it, it went, you know, the next person, uh, Martha, Martha, uh, Corey, she was actually a very, very respected person within the community, but you know, the girls didn't really like her, you know, because she she would she would be strict to them. I mean, really, if if you had done the girls wrong, you were on their list. And this just spiraled out yes. of control. So for my understanding as well, is during the trials, people were acting as if they were being bewitched during that time and that was that was allowed yeah they i mean even during the trial for some reason they thought it was it was a good idea to bring all the inflicted girls 
into the um, investigation. I mean, the trial is nothing like a trial today. <laughs> the, the men that were appointed to ask these women if they were witches or not, they, they were not trained lawyers or anything. They were just, they were just appointed people to, to do the job. They didn't know what they were doing. They were just, they were more counting these women, asking them questions, not open-ended questions, but more, you are guilty. Tell me why kind of question there you know it's like when when you were accused you were doomed there was really no getting around it you either had to accuse someone else to save your own life or you know unfortunately you were you were doomed you were going to be hung the 20th person executed and he he wasn't the last but the 20th person executed he was pressed to death. That's right. And he never was actually convicted, right? Like they never, he never admitted to it and they never convicted him of witchcraft. He just willingly allowed them to kill him. Exactly. It was, it was him and his wife. His wife was accused of witchcraft and he stood up and said, no, not my wife. She is innocent. And so then they accused him of, of it as well. So they were actually married and they were both accused, both tried and then both executed. So really there were 20 people killed in the Salem witch trials. Right. And then there was, I mean, there were mostly women, right? But there were men too, who yeah. were being accused as yeah. being witches. And there was one guy, but it was the one guy who was said to be, when he was accused, he was said to be like the ringleader because he was disliked by this, this important family because he was religious leader before this Paris guy, right? His name George Burroughs, because they moved out of out of Salem, yeah. right? And there's yeah. a rivalry with him because he owed money to the Putnams, right? Yeah. Yes. I mean, I understand. I mean, I guess I don't. I don't know. I don't know how, like you had said, like, I don't know what, what I would have done. But when you're facing your life being taken because you are yeah. accused of, of being something that you're not, a lot of these yeah. people ended up naming others just to save themselves. Yeah, just in order to survive. That's what Tichaba did, you know, and I, I don't blame her one single bit. I can only imagine what I would have done if, if I were in their place. Yeah, very, very terrifying to imagine being in that place, you know, I mean, just your your entire way of life, the, you know, the community that you rely on for everything is now turning against you. Yeah. And all you're doing is all the right things. I yeah. mean, all these people were just doing what they thought were were the right decisions where they had to make decisions for their families and obviously it pissed somebody else off. And mm -hmm. that person was able to weaponize this whole you're a witch thing, which is such an interesting concept in itself. But I mean, eventually they got their shit together. What really kind of caused them to finally stop after the deaths of the the hanging of the 19 and then of course this 20th fellow what what exactly did when did they get their shit together and what really kind of led to that it, it was it was about a year's time it, it wasn't it wasn't before um 1693 that it finally stopped and it really was because uh the wrong person was accused the the governor of the colonies white was being accused of witchcraft and he's like oh no no we're we're not doing this today that's how it all stopped. Sadly, the wrong person's name was listed, was accused. 
And the right person was able to stand up and say, no, we're, we're not, we're not doing this. And that's all it took. And it, it just, it, it did, you know, after a year's time, it kind of lost flame. You know, it just, it kind of died down. It was, it balled into a frenzy. It was the perfect storm. And then it just died down. You know, so, so many people lost their lives so very fast. There were only 20 people. Okay. 20 people died and there were only three days where they executed these people. Yeah, uh, July 19th, August 19th, and September 23. Just three days of all these rounds of executions happened in a year's time. That's crazy. I mean, so much, I, I guess in, in a metaphorical sense, so much blood was spilled because of cult leader instilling all of this fear into the people. And again, like as a society, we want to believe the people that we're putting our faith into. And so they almost didn't have a choice but to believe believe this because if they didn't support it, they could have been accused themselves of witchcraft. And some of them, I'm sure just like believed it. They were like, what else, what other options are there for them? And for the, for the, for them to stop because the governor's wife was accused, like that's really interesting, right? How you consider like people like Sarah Good, who had a bad story, who was somebody who was not of power or somebody like Tituba, who was just a slave. All of these people, even the, the lady, I, I don't remember her name, but she was the one that I think you had said was was very prominent in the community. She was uh, Rebecca Nurse, right? She was the one who oh, yeah. was seen as a very religious person, but she was still arrested for witchcraft and then hung. Yeah, yeah. She was she was even beloved by people. You know, she she was a very kind, uh, tender-hearted, beloved person. Uh, prominent within the community, and they still turned against her. You know, she she was flabbergasted that this was actually happening to her of all people to her and and it really kind of you know from her on that that was when I feel like the story really took a turn for the worse because you know yeah like I said she was so beloved and if it could happen to her I not mean, anybody right yeah so the paranoia that just went through everybody in that in Salem village there was no telling who was going to be named next you know it, it could be anybody it could be you so you know this mob mentality really did grow with the hangings you know if if you didn't show your passion for what was happening excitement for the evil to be to be killed off then well why aren't you happy about this why are you saying that this shouldn't happen then so easily the the finger could be turned on you it turned into like this mom mentality and it's almost um in a way understandable because again they were just trying to save their own lives yeah which is devastating yeah. which this whole event shaped so much of of our society and the way that we still have these modern day like we talked about before like the the modern day witch hunt you know there's yeah. still that that mob mentality against things that are different that oh this person is different they are this negative connotation to who they are i think we use the example of the slur terrorists like there's a lot of people who are just being different, whether they have a different appearance, a different skin tone, a, a different faith, a different clothing style, like 
those are all things that are used the same way and weaponized the same way this was to be a modern day witch hunt. And they're just innocent people who are just culturally different. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, yeah, radicalism is very current today, you know, and, and hysteria, it, it doesn't take long for that to stir. No, it doesn't. I'm just, there's so many things like running through my head about all of these things. The, the idea that you're going against something makes you this metaphorical witch, the person that they are going to persecute for having differences. And that's where I think of modern day cults like worldwide that I was a part of. If you were somebody who came out against the organization, they were already pre planning how to persecute you and make other people not trust your words. Like there is a couple, um, and I talk about them all the time. There's a couple, their names are Zay and Melody. They have a YouTube channel where they came out very publicly. I think that they really kind of pioneered speaking against these specific organizations because before them, no one was really talking about Amway. There's a lot of fear when it comes to talking about these organizations because you saw what happened when other people did. And when this couple came out with their stories and speaking out against this, there was almost and I would consider it a modern day witch hunt where they had to they had to criticize them in every way. They had to convince people that they were lying. These people are are just going against us because they are evil or they're bad or something about them is not to be trusted. That is very manipulative. It's brainwashing. It, it is the same concept. Anybody who comes out negatively against any of this, there is a fear. I have had a lot of people tell me that they're scared to talk about yeah. the organization because they know what's going to happen behind closed doors. They know that the moment that they leave, if they have given an ounce of inclination that they were going to say something negative, the yeah. people in the organization are already pre-planning how can we get ahead of this? How can we make people not trust their words? It's such right. a cult-like mentality. It's horrendous and scary. Yeah, it is. Just just like in Salem, it it was it was this entire town against one. And how do you how do you fight against that? What do you do? You have no power. So just like just like in these organizations, you know, they they know that they have power. You're just one person. It might not be, you know, taking you down to uh, Gallows Hill and executing you, hanging you, but they're they're gonna cancel you in in every possible way that they can. They're going to you know tell everybody that that you're a liar. So so who's who's gonna believe what you have to say about them? You know exactly, it's, especially when it's all of the leaders. These the same way that how many people are actually gonna go against Samuel Paris? Like they would be like they would have been hung right. themselves, not even being accused of being witch, just being a horrible person. Like. Right. Like, that's the thing. If you if you have an ounce of your own thought where you want to question things there, yeah. they've in, they've already instilled that fear in you. They've already done their job. And it's so funny because I mention this all the time. There is this thing. I don't know if you've heard of it, but I mention it here all the time. It's called the bite model. Fantastic concept. It's so cool. If you haven't looked into it, totally recommend this guy named Stephen Hassan. He was in a cult in, I think, the 70s or 80s. I don't remember which 
time period, but he was in a cult and he got out of the cult and told his story. And he has this website called freedomofmind.com. And it talks about the different ways that they will control somebody's mind. So there's behavior control, information control, thought control, and emotional control. And a lot of these are things that they did during this time period where they're deliberately withholding information. They are systematically, they lie to the cult members. They're doing what they can to keep these people assimilated into this, this group mentality. Um, they yeah. offer distorted information. This is all just inform the information control aspect. So another one that's mentioned is minimize or discourage access to non-cult sources of information. So I can imagine in that time period, it was you can't have books about these things. Whereas in right. this like a and like like Nexium, they had they did this in in worldwide. They do this where they're encouraging you not to be on the internet, not to watch TV, not to listen to the radio, not read books that are not specific to their book list, or listening and in having that input of media that's not specific to theirs. And they do this in a very cunning way where they're telling you you're not going to be successful if you follow these outside sources. It's so manipulative. And then they have things like like behavior control, where they regulate individuals, uh, their physical reality. So for example, for us, they would make us feel that our lives were so bad that we needed them. Same way as I'm sure Samuel Paris made people feel they needed him to have the right message. They needed him to follow what the Lord thought was the right thing to do or imposing rigid rules and regulations, discouraging individualism. Or again, we're going to go to these ones like kidnapping, torture, and murder. Those are behavior controls, which is what was happening. People were yeah. being murdered. Yeah, very. Yes, good point. Good point. I, you know, I, as, as far as Samuel Paris goes, you know, this started in his home with his daughter and his niece. You would think that he would feel some kind of embarrassment and even ask, like, why is God doing this to me? What did I do? You know, is this, you know, like a questioning of, of his own soul? But no, Paris, you know, that kind of man, he's going to use this as an example of, well, I told y'all so that there is a devil, that bewitchment is real, and that, you know, I I always said all along that this was going to happen, and now, look, I was right. You know, there's such a level of um, pride, and just, like, that it, it stirs this thing in them that they just, they, they can't help themselves, they keep going. Right. And it's scary, but it's true. And you're right. He used it in a way that was, that was so, yeah. You know, what's funny is that connected something in my head that connected a couple of dots. And again, it's just in reference to this stupid organization. So there's this guy, I talk about him a lot. Anybody who knows, they know the, who the, we call him the crown guy because that's his quote title of leadership or whatever. And he preaches such a homophobic message. They all do. In fact, there are leaked messages that have come out about these leaders who will not sponsor people into business because they're gay and like equating it to stealing somehow. It's 
horrific, dude. It's bad. But if anybody's heard this leaked, Kate, like you guys know, this is real stuff that happens in the organization. Well, I recently uncovered some information. Somebody had told this to me, but I wanted to do my own research just to ensure that I had whatever information I needed to back up what I'm going to say. So I know as of right now, people who have left this organization three months ago were in for two whole years, did not know this man had a daughter. He does not talk about his daughter. And I think allegedly this is because she is married to a woman and it happened in his own home. How is he going to use this to be able to continue manipulating people? And it immediately thought about that, that this is a message that he preaches that happened in his own home. And for him, in order to save his own, again, this is all my opinion, speculation, but in order to protect his viewpoints, he cannot talk about her. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's scary. Yeah. Very, very serious. and, and sad. Um, he, yes. Yeah, he's got a reputation to protect. So daughter doesn't. Are they exist. really all? Are they all that different? These two men, Samuel Paris and the Crown guy. What's the differences? The time frames. The fact that maybe he didn't send his daughter to be hung. Maybe he blamed somebody else the same way. I don't know. But it's really interesting the parallels that there are with modern day cults and and these these witch trials that we want to believe was such a thing of the past. But they have they have a purpose to keep talking about it because again, going back to the bite model, we're talking about things like emotional control where they will in still fear. So if you think independently, if you're thinking outside of the world, enemies, all of these different things, those things, like, like they would say even in worldwide that like, if you're having adversity, right, if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, it's the devil trying to make you not successful, essentially. It was a very religious organization. It's scary, but it's that same fear mongering that's still happening to this day mind control yeah (laughs) i mean it history will repeat itself right it's all the same kind of evil just uh different names different time yeah wow it's it's so crazy kind of going through all of this and and how has this event shaped how you view the world now especially as somebody who is a self-proclaimed modern day witch (laughs) i mean i I've always felt um, so much empathy for for outcasted people, for the bullied, you know, the the underdog, or you know, wh- whatever term you want to use for it, the the person that uh, looks different or. Uh, thinks different or believes, you know, whatever, a different sexuality, you know, I've, I've always tried to acknowledge those people, you know, because I've, I've always felt I was bullied in school, of course, you know, like who, who wasn't, but it wasn't until my 30s that I finally felt this contentment within myself and it's sad but some people never find that you know so yeah just a just an understanding and acknowledgement that um that this happens that it's not just a thing of 1692 it still goes on in this world today yeah no that's so true and I think that I think you're right. I think it's really important that we recognize that there there were innocent people who who were murdered and they were, you know, people who quite literally were just li- living their lives. They just maybe rubbed somebody the wrong way. They, you know, they didn't do anything wrong. A lot of of the women and men uh, that were executed, they were Puritans. They believed in what uh, Samuel Paris was uh, preaching, on, you know, Sunday in church. They, they lived their lives the way that's 
Samuel said that they should. The teenage and adolescent girls that were stirring all of this up, that caused all of this. If you looked at them the wrong way or said something too stern to them, then you were the next named. And it's it's horrific, the turn of events that happened. Yeah. And the fact that there's still this aspect of Wicca and paganism that is is still stigmatized. If there's one thing that you would want people to know in modern day about the misconceptions of this religion, what would it be? There is actually no devil in the craft. It's, you know, just, just like when you go to a church to um, to worship whoever it is, whatever it is that you um, worship, I just happen to go outside and and be in my front yard or my backyard or, or take a walk to the blood. That's my church. Um, and I mean, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, right? I mean, I I look up to the moon, I look up to the sun, I I lay in the grass, and you know, it's it's all very nature based. Like we were taught in kindergarten, the the cardinal rule, right? Do unto others as others do unto you. I mean, that's like number one, uh, you know, creeds um, in Wicca. You know, don't don't harm others. You know, you know. So I'm not I'm not going around uh hexing people or stirring potions and you know putting curses on people i um you know pick up a book <laughs> read up a, read up on it a little bit it's not it's not it really isn't what a lot of people um assume it to be only because of the salem witch trials and the ideas that have been passed on through time about the witches that were accused you know we were taught to to fear the witches, not the accusers, which I think should be the other way around. But, um, you know, even film, <laughs> cinema, the, the pentagram that so many religions throughout history have used. Christians used the pentagram, the five-pointed star in the circle, um, to represent the crucifixion of Jesus. But we as Wiccans use it um, to represent earth, air, fire, water, and spirit as the top part of the star. There's, again, no devil in that. Um, When you see it inverted upside down, just like an upside down cross, then that might have a little bit of a sinister meaning to it. But that's not Wicca. That's not in Wicca. Back, back to what I was saying about films and cinema. What was it? The the Wolfman movie where we first see the the idea of like a pentacle being used in witchcraft as devil's work. You know, that, that's, that also stirs that fear mongering to people watching that film like, ooh, a pentacle that's scary that that's associated with something that it's just more fear-mongering it's been done with the witchcraft and uh and people who follow wicca ever since um you know, 1692. And now today in film. Yeah, I immediately think of The Witch. <laughs> like that's the first movie that comes yes. to mind in modern day. The Black Phillip. I love that movie. That's that's such a cool movie. That but, movie scared you know, the shit out of me. Yeah, again, again it's, it's, it's more fear-mongering. You know, people look, watch that movie and think that's that it's real life. <laughs> 
but it's just, it's just imaginary, you know? Yeah. It's, it's not real. It's just more, it's entertainment. Yeah. Which is, which is true. And I, I, I mean, we, we love a good, we love a good horror movie, but you're right. There's so many things that are still to this day thought to be real when in reality it's it's just it's just fake it's just an it's just an urban legend at this point and sure it's derived from this time period and yeah. I think nowadays a lot of people know that it's fake but I still think that there are enough people who do believe that when you use the term witchcraft you're it's there's some association to the devil but there is no god or devil anywhere near there it's it's the elements yeah, exactly i don't i don't i don't worship the devil he's he's not even in you know i i believe in light and dark but i don't call it devil you know so i and you know so yeah i just it's, That's... it's not it's not a part of my belief system so how can there be something that doesn't even exist yeah right which is which is a good i think explanation and i hope that some out there if you had a negative connotation with this any of this that you kind of recognize that's kind of an archaic belief at this point I think that it's a very laid out very old school it's very just it needs to change in my opinion but I really am grateful that we were able to go into such a heavy topic because it really is still relevant I think it will always be relevant and you're talking about people whose stories deserve to be told like they don't get to speak today and say that I was accused of something and I went, I mean, even just the people who were imprisoned, the people who did not die, all of them have, and, and they continued on life with a level of trauma that they, at the time, I mean, nobody was even talking, the word trauma probably didn't fucking exist at that point. But you're talking yeah. about this, their whole outlook on life was different and it shaped who the rest of their line of generations would be. I mean, I read a book and I know that it's maybe some people don't believe in that aspect of science. I personally do. I think that generational trauma can be passed down genetically. And there are a lot of people who would still to this day feel some sort of impact because their family member experienced that during that time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, ask ask any um, Black person today who who's one of, you know, their great grandmother, great father, who was a slave you know that that ancestral trauma is very very real it's a very real yeah, thing it is and yeah. it manifests in different ways too food scarcity during that time that is passed down and through genetics and it's passed down to people who may not have lived it yourself there is something genetically ingrained in you that feels some sort of fear because of what your grandparent had experienced, especially as slaves, especially as, you know, these like during the Holocaust as well, like these different horrendous times where people are being persecuted purely for who they are as people, things that they can't even control. Like it's wild yeah. to think that that people don't have a respect for that. I think that it's so important to recognize the history that we've endured and to you still talk about it like there it will never not be relevant yeah yeah i mean two 200 people were accused uh 20 people lost their lives during this time and you know five were still um left in prison and died in prison you know wow. you know so there there's there's other lives that uh were lost that you know just uh listed with the executed that you you more commonly know about yeah i read there that too dogs were executed too. I 
was literally about to say that. There's actually two dogs <laughs> who were killed for witchcraft. Yes. Yep. Wow. Terrifying. Terrifying. That's crazy. That's right? insane. Was one of them the dogs, the dog that ate the witch cake? I actually don't know. I don't know. But I like, what the hell could a dog have done? He called a witch. What in the, what? on earth could a, a dog do around at Abigail Williams or something like that and she's like oh. <laughs> It's just it's a witch. I can't imagine. Crazy. But you know what's funny is I think of that movie The Witch and I think of Black Phillip. Why wasn't it a dog? <laughs> I don't <laughs> see any goats that were that were accused of being witches. Just these two dogs. Like it's crazy that these animals were so if from what some from what research I, I can see here is that the animals were suddenly sick or they were acting weird for no reason. And they were diagnosed as being bewitched. That was their diagnosis. They were something was wrong. They probably ate something bad or or some sort of illness at the time had uh, had actually afflicted them, but no, they were they were witches. Yeah, I mean, like their their science in that day. So when Anne Putnam was bewitched, when she started having her fits and saying that she was seeing specters, and she she claimed that Martha. Martha Corey, uh, the very, very respected gospel woman of, of Salem. Her, her father actually asked her something kind of rational, which was surprising for that time period where a, a rationality was just rancid. Uh, rancid. Um, he, he asked her, well, what is she wearing right now? Do you, you see her? So what is she wearing? And Anne says, well, I'm being blinded by her. I can't see her. And so when they go oh. to her house, right? Yeah. So when they go to her house to question her, she actually asked them, well, you know, did you ask her what I was wearing? If she can apparently see me right now? And they told her, well, no, she, she's she been blinded. And she kind of smirks like, well, don't you see how ridiculous this is? The, these are children playing make-believe, basically. But no, they took that as something more sinister that, you know, she... Well, that's something that a witch would say. <laughs> right, right. I know there are some theories as to what was actually going on. I know some of them have been debunked. Some of them are are controversial thoughts. But I know that one right. of them was the uh, the fungus from from the rye could have been consumed yeah. through the the rye bread, and that was the uh, ergot. It's the the fungus that has like some yeah. sort of like psychedelic, uh, which would cause hallucinations. But from my understanding, yeah. they debunked that as as some of the yeah. uh, the fits that they were having were mm-hmm. beyond what these symptoms would have been. Yeah, I mean, and and who knows there. There very well could have been some kind of uh, mental health thing going on with some of the girls, but I, I just, I happen to believe that they were intoxicated by the attention that they were getting. And, um, you know, just like today, the influence of our peers, you know, they're, it's, yeah. I, I believe that um, they got a high off the fact that they were actually being listened to and, and looked at by their, by the adult you know something that had never happened and that power very very powerful especially for adolescent girls and and teenagers 
Yeah. Especially during that time, because I mean, there's a lot of misogyny that still happens. But in this time period, women were were purely for braiding purposes. That's it. Women had such a small role in society, unless they were married to someone powerful. Like that would be the only real way that women had any sort of influence. But outside of that, you know, these girls knew I would imagine what their fate was going to be as they grew older, they would have to get married or they would just be some, they would be useless if they didn't get married, if they didn't have that. And that was their fate. And I can imagine if that's your thought process, especially during this time, especially when you have your head filled with all of these things, having an ounce of power probably held a lot of regard to them. Oh gosh, yeah. And and it is. It it's very very understandable. It really is. You know, I I in a way even though what they did was horrific and terrifying and resulted in in so many deaths, you know, they were they were just kids. They had no idea of what their what consequences would happen from their actions, you know. They didn't know the adults should have known. So I don't, I don't really, I don't, I don't really blame the girls. I I blame the adults in this situation. Samuel Paris, most of all, you know, they, they should have known better. Yeah. This whole event just, this caused so much. I just want to give an honorable mention to some of the uh, famous people who are descendants of periods of this time, like Ray Bradbury. Uh, Apparently Walt Disney was descended. He specifically descended from George Burroughs, who was executed. Um, Apparently, Sarah Jessica Parker was a descendant of Esther Elwell, Elwell, who was accused. Um, William Howard Taft, Grace Coolidge, and Kyra Sedgwick. Those are just a couple. That's insane. So these people are in the bloodline of of families during this time. I know. I've I've always thought that was kind of cool, Sarah Jessica Parker, you know, playing playing a, a witch in Hocus Pocus. That was kind of well, cool. yeah, that's yeah. right. Ancestry going on there. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. I know that. Yeah, and Linda Hamilton too. She was listed uh, along with like Ralph Waldo Emerson, Ray Bradbury, a guy named Alan Shepard, Christopher Reeve, a Benedict Cumberbatch. Apparently, he is also a descendant as well. Oh, that's perfect. Oh, my gosh. So there's so many people in modern day who are directly in some way, I don't want to say directly, but like in some spider web of a tree way connected to somebody who was impacted, whether they were an accuser and accused or actually executed during this time. That's such an interesting thought to to think about like the history of, of all these things and how you can be connected to something so dark in history. Wow. This has been a conversation. This has been wild. I I would love that if I if I was actually a direct descendant from like one of the innocent lives from Salem, that that would be cool. That would explain a lot, right? <laughs> that would say a lot about me. That would really explain so much. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much for coming and talking to us about this because like I said, I don't think there's any better person that could have come on and had this conversation, but I feel like there's a piece of you too that really does deserve to be heard, especially when it's something that still to this day, so many people are stigmatizing for absolutely no reason. And I am so grateful for your time. Thank you so much. I'm so, I'm so glad we, we finally did this. It was, it was a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah, it was a journey. It's a journey. If you are out there, 
and you want to come have a conversation. I know a lot of my content is anti-MLM cult related, but you can come in and talk about trauma too. We have a lot of people who have come on and talked about their stories and you know, you can tell as much or as little as you want. I just want to be able to help you share your story on this platform. You guys have to follow me on xsnt.podcast on every platform. You guys can catch us on Spotify, all the places. I'm everywhere. How can we as a community help to support your message? Uh, like I said, read a book. I think that's the simplest thing. Just read a book. Um, you know, do do your research and, and actually uh, read about what Wicca actually is. Take a moment to learn about the history of the Salem Witch Trials and what really, really happened. And take a moment to remember the lives that were lost. You know, they, they were innocent and it really a true tragedy what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Again, I appreciate it. And uh, we will catch everybody on the next episode.